Welcome to the teaching ministry at Crothers Creek Community Church. Well, good morning, church. Uh, well, Happy New Year to everyone. And uh, here we are at the start of a new year <clears throat> and the start of a new decade. It just, uh, it feels to me at least like it was uh, not that long ago that we remember the craziness of Y2K. How many people remember the craziness of that? Well, thank God all of that's over with and, and we, can, we can get on. Well, I hope that you had a really good holiday uh, season. We have a bit of a tradition at our house uh, over the holiday time frame. Uh, now that a couple of our boys are married, um, kids start coming home for Christmas and it's just a tremendous time we look forward to. And one of the things that we do over the Christmas season, whoever comes back, uh, we go out and we catch a movie together. And uh, they love it mostly because I pay, I think, more than anything else. <clears throat> and it's getting more expensive as they bring girls home. Um, but this, this year we went out and we caught a movie and we decided to go to one of the 3D movies that's out there uh, because we heard about this new technology. And uh, so we went out and caught this 3D movie. And so we all settled into uh, the movie theater and we got our new 3D glasses on. And uh, we watched the, the credits and the, the, coming, uh, the coming attractions and all of that kind of stuff. And then uh, we got into the feature presentation, and we were about five or ten minutes into this feature presentation, and my wife Jennifer kind of nudged me. She was sitting next to me, and she nudged me, and she goes, is the 3D working? And I'm like, what do you mean is the 3D working? Stuff is flying over my head, and it's like there's stuff coming right off the screen, jumping right out at us. And I'm like, of course it's working. What are you, what are you talking about? And then we both suddenly realized she, she's legally blind in one of her eyes. She only has one eye, and so I guess you need two eyes to see this particular 3D. She's never had a problem. We've gone to Disney when the kids were little and she was able to see the, the 3D effect there, but for this particular movie, she didn't. So we all were raving about this 3D movie and, and she got to see a one and a half D movie, I guess. Um, and, and as I kind of thought about that experience and I thought about this morning and what I wanted to share at the start of a new year and at the start of a brand new decade, I want to ask you, how is your vision? And I'm not talking about the vision of our church here. Because Pastor John has done a wonderful job back in September about outlining what the vision of C4 is all about. But this morning, really, what I want to focus in on and I want to concentrate on is how is my personal vision? How, how am I seeing things? How are you seeing things uh, as those who are regulars, those who are connected and well-connected in here at C4? And for those of you who might be spiritually seekers among us who have decided to start out uh, 2010 by investigating this whole God thing. I'd like to ask this question about how is your vision. To do that, the passage of Scripture that I want to invite you to turn to in your Bibles, if you have them, and it'll be up on the screen here, is, is one of my favorite passages of Scripture in all of the Old Testament. It's Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And this is uh, just a tremendous, tremendous passage of Scripture. And as we as I ask the question, and I hope that you try to answer the question, how is your vision, let's investigate together this morning this particular passage of Scripture. Let me read it. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were crying to one another or calling out to one another holy 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 is the lord god almighty the whole earth is full of his glory at the sound of their voices the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke 
Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. This is a great passage, and I want to invite you to think about how your vision is this morning. And I want to focus in on four particular aspects of this encounter that Isaiah has as he goes to the temple. But before we dive into the details of the passage, we need to set the context. We always need to look at the context before we go to the content. We're given right in the very first line the dating of this particular incident that Isaiah had. He said, it was in the year the king Uzziah died that he had this vision. Well, we know from history that that was 740 B.C., 740 years before the birth of Christ. But we have to go all the way back to 2 Chronicles chapter 26 to find out some of the context. If we're going to really understand what was going on in Isaiah's mind and in his heart at this particular time, and what was going on in nation Israel at this time, we have to go all the way back to 2 Chronicles. And so in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verses 1, 3, and 5, we read the following. Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah who was 16 years old, and they made him king in place of his father Amaziah. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. So we find out an awful lot about this king that has just died at the timing of Isaiah's vision. His father Amaziah was not a good king. He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And so God removed him from the scene. And at 16 years old, Uzziah becomes the king of Judah. And it tells us back in 2 Chronicles that he reigned for 52 years, which is a tremendously long reign in those days. And under his particular reign, the people enjoyed great success politically, militarily, religiously, and economically. Politically, when you have a 52-year reign, there's an awful lot of stability that that affords. And so the people enjoyed this real stable political situation. Militarily, we, we read in uh, the book of Kings and in the book of Chronicles that under Uzziah's leadership, they went out and they were able to um, remove the Philistines from a number of cities and they were able to break down some of the fortified cities of their arch enemies, the Philistines. And God gave them great success there. Religiously, this young 16-year-old went about trying to turn the hearts of his nation back towards God. And he, and he did away with all of the false, uh, idolatrous worship that his father had set up. And economically, this country was doing remarkably well throughout the 52-year reign of King Uzziah. And almost all of Uzziah's reign was really, really great. Almost all, except for the very end. Except for the very last part of his reign. You see, because he was enjoying political and economic and military and religious success, Uzziah began to get a little bit puffed up. He started to kind of take matters into his own hands. His own pride began to well up inside him. And he decided near the end of his life that what he wanted to do was he wanted to go into the temple and he wanted to burn incense before the Lord. Now we say, so what? Big deal. We see this was absolutely forbidden in the law of Moses. 
This was not the function or the job or the role of the king to do. This was only the job of the Levites, of the priests. They were the only ones under the law of God that were allowed to go in before the altar of God and burn incense. And so they followed Uzziah into the temple, and he's getting ready to burn this incense before God. And they're saying, no, don't do it, Uzziah, don't do it. And he said, who are you to tell me what to do? I am the king. Look at all of this success that, I've, that I have done. Look at all that I have amassed as king. And when he determined in his heart that he was going to burn the incense, God struck him with leprosy, beginning on his forehead and throughout all of his body. And this great, wonderful, popular, successful king ends off his life living in obscurity and in segregation. Because in those days, when you had leprosy, you couldn't be a part of the normal community. But not only that, he couldn't be part of the community of faith. Because, he be, because of his leprosy, he was unclean and could not worship with the people of God. And it's in a time of personal and national grief at the death of this king that the prophet Isaiah comes to the temple, comes to seek God, comes presumably to pray and to worship. And it's in a time of grief and uncertainty and fear and apprehension much like the times that we live in, that Isaiah gets this fresh vision of God. So let's look at this vision that Isaiah has. And I said to you, I was going to ask you to think about four areas of your own vision. I'm thinking about four areas of my own vision. And the first one is that I want to suggest that you and I, as we approach this new year and as we approach this new decade, many of us with fear and uncertainty and apprehension, that first of all, we need a fresh vision of God. Look at verses 1 through 4. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs. Let me just pause there for a second. Seraphs are only mentioned here in all of scriptures. Literally, it means burning ones. These angelic created beings are flying around. Now, there's a parallel passage, and we sang it. It was the last song that we sang from Revelation chapter 4 and verse 8, where it says these creatures, it doesn't call them seraphs, uh, but many people believe they're the same ones. And here in Isaiah chapter 6, they're crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. In Revelation 4, they're crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. But that's the only time that these particular angelic beings are mentioned in all of Scripture. And Isaiah sees them. So they're flying around with these six wings. And with two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they're flying. And they're calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. What an incredible vision of God that Isaiah gets here. During this time of national grief, and personal grief and uncertainty. And I want to ask myself, and I want to ask you this morning, how is your vision of God? How do we see God? Look at how Isaiah sees God. First of all, he sees God in all of his majesty in verse 1. He says, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe fills the temple. Here he gets this vision of God who's sitting on his throne up in heaven. Now, you understand what's going on here. Remember, the earthly throne is now empty because the king is dead. There is no one sitting on the throne in Judah. 
Everyone knows that there's a void in leadership right now. They're waiting to see uh, which of his sons will take over leadership and what that king will be like. And so there is no one ruling in Judah. And that creates tremendous tension in the land. But in the midst of that, Isaiah gets this vision of God and he sees that God is still on his throne in heaven. And no matter what's going on on earth, no matter what kind of rulers are in power on earth, and no matter what kind of decisions are being made on earth, there is a king who is in heaven in all of his majesty. Do you believe that? One person does. That's great. But not only is God on his throne in heaven, but God is seated on his throne in heaven. A very important detail for us. You see, kings in the, the ancient times, they would rule when they were seated. And Isaiah sees that God is still ruling. God is still in control. Things might be very uncertain on earth, but in heaven there's absolute certainty because God is the one who's ruling. Majesty has got to do with dignity and power and authority. And Isaiah sees that God has all of the dignity, God has all of the power, and God has all of the authority no matter what is happening around him. But not only does Isaiah see God's majesty, but in verse 3b, he sees the glory of God too. These angelic beings, these seraphs are flying around and they're crying out that the whole earth is full of the glory of God. The glory of God is the manifest presence of God. Have you ever felt that God has drawn near? Have you ever felt the manifest presence of God? I know that some people are praying around here, and I'm praying around here, that we would sense and feel the glory of God falling on this place. That God would draw near to us, that he would come close to us, and that the Shekinah glory of the Almighty God, the one who Isaiah sees, would be our reality too. But we need a fresh vision of God. We need God to touch us and to move in a new way. And the glory of God is always combined with light and brightness. You know, many people in the Old Testament said, God, let me see your glory. Many of the prophets said, let me see your glory. And God always said to them, I always can show you my glory, but I have to show it filtered. Because no one can see the glory of God and live. I thought it was really incredible last week, Bill Fiji, the president of the AGC, was here and was speaking, and his subject was the glory of God. And one of the things that really struck me, a number of things he said really struck me, and I listened to the message again this week, but he said, for about the last 130 years, what the North American church seems to have missed is a pursuit of the glory of God, not because of what he can do for us, but just because we want the glory of God. And we need a fresh vision of God. To see him in all of his glory, in all of his majesty. But not only does Isaiah see God in his majesty and in his glory, but he sees God in his holiness as well. These seraphs are flying around and they're calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holiness has to do with the uniqueness or the separateness of God. God is unlike anyone or anything else. God is completely separate. He is completely other in nature. He is outside of all that is created. He was before all things and he will be after all things from eternity to eternity. And God is absolutely unique and the holiness of God represents the uniqueness of God. 
But not only does holiness talk about the uniqueness and the otherness of God, but it talks about the goodness and the moral purity of God. God is absolutely good. God is absolutely, to the nth degree, morally pure. See, in God, there can be no toleration of sin. God doesn't play with sin like we do. God doesn't kind of see how far he can go and and not get touched by sin. In, In God's nature and in God's character, God does not flirt with sin. He does not wink at sin. He has nothing to do with sin. He is absolutely morally pure and good. But we miss something in our English translation here that is so unfortunate for us. These angelic beings are crying out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And, and it doesn't pack the same punch for us in English that it does in Hebrew. You see, because the threefold repetition of this attribute of God is a super superlative. Here's what I mean by that. If I wanted to say to you, um, it's hot in here, in Hebrew, I would say to you, it's hot in here. And you go, oh, okay, Dave thinks it's a little on the warm side, but I find it quite comfortable. If I wanted to say to you that this is probably hotter than any other place that I've ever been, in fact, I'm finding it actually a little bit unbearable right now. In Hebrew, what I would say to you is, it is hot, hot in here. I would emphasize it by repeating it. But if I wanted to say to you that this is the hottest place on the planet, in fact, I think this is hotter than anywhere else in all of time, in all of creation, that I can't imagine that there was anywhere hotter than this, I would say to you in Hebrew, it is hot, hot, hot in here. In other words, you can't get any hotter. And these angelic beings are flying around and they're saying that God is holy, holy, holy. God is infinitely holy. And this is the vision of God that the prophet Isaiah gets during this time of tremendous personal and national uncertainty. And I want to suggest to you, my friends, my friends, we desperately need a fresh vision of God. I desperately need a fresh vision of God. I need to see God in all of his majesty. We need to see God in all of his majesty. We need to see God in all of his glory and to sense the presence, the wonderful, majestic presence of God. And we need to understand to the very core of our beings that God is holy, holy, holy. I think secretly, I think a lot of us are afraid, honestly. I think we're afraid. I think we're afraid of this kind of a vision of God because somehow in our warped understanding of God, we think that God's going to do something to us, something terrible to us. But as we go through this passage of Scripture, I hope that that understanding gets cleared up and that you come to a place where you you might invite a fresh vision of God. So when asking how is your vision, we start with needing a fresh vision of God, but then we move to a fresh vision of ourselves. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Again, our English really kind of lets us down here because it just doesn't, bam, it just doesn't give us the punch that we need here. 
Isaiah has just said to God, look, God, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. He's the prophet, and he he is symbolizing his sin uh, as coming from his lips. We know that out of the abundance of the heart, out of the abundance of the uh, the mind, the mouth speaks. Whatever is going on in the inside uh, ultimately comes out of our mouths. And Isaiah is symbolizing that, and he's saying, so God, in my own heart and in my own mind, I'm a sinful person, and, and, and I see it because of my lips. And I dwell among a people, and by the way, remember the people he's talking about here. This is the community of faith. This is the equivalent of church. This is the prophet talking about the community of faith. This is the pastor talking about the congregation. And I dwell among a people of unclean lips. I dwell among a sinful people. And in response to this incredible vision of God that Isaiah gets, this is his response. Woe to me, for I am ruined. And what he really is saying here is he, he is saying, in light of this incredible holy God that I have just seen, in light of God's majesty and his ruling, his power, his authority, and the glory of God, and the threefold holiness of God, I'm a dead man. I am done. And I'm more than just dead. It's like I am blown apart. I am ripped apart. I am just consumed. I am vaporized in the presence of this God. That's what he means when he says, woe to me, for I'm ruined. He recognizes his own sinful condition before this incredible vision of God. And I think we need a fresh vision of ourselves. You know why I think we need a fresh vision of ourselves? Because secretly, I think we all think that we're better than we are. I think we really secretly think that we're more deserving than we really are. We're more deserving than other people in the world, for sure. That's why God has blessed us. I think we think we're more important than we really are. I think we think we're better looking than we really are. I think we like being the center of attention. I remember one Christmas, it wasn't this Christmas, (laughs) one Christmas Jen gave me a new pair of jeans for Christmas. And uh, I remember going back to work and thinking I was going to bless everybody by wearing my new jeans. And so I put on my new jeans and and I confess to you, they look pretty good. (laughs) And so uh, I jumped in the car and I was driving to work and I was going to, stop at Timmy's, and no drive-through for me that morning. I was going to go stand in line because I wanted everybody to see the jeans, right? So I get out, and I stand in line at Timmy's, and, and I'm out there, and I'm thinking, these people are probably all looking at me because of the new jeans, right? And so I'm out there, and uh, I go up to the counter finally, and I say, can I have my, you know, my steep tea and my low-fat, low-carb chocolate chip muffin? And so they give me that, and so then I walk out, get in the car, and I drive to work, and I get to the office, and I'm thinking... You know, secretly, of course, you would never say this stuff out loud. Secretly, I'm thinking, the staff are all going to be like, Dave's got new jeans. They look really hot. And so uh, I get to work, and I'm walking down. And my office is right at the end, and I'm walking down, and I pass our children's ministries director, Cynthia. And she says, hey, Dave, new jeans? And I'm like, inside, inside. I'm like, yes. I knew I looked fabulous in these jeans. And I, so I turn around all nice and humble-like, and I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, they're new jeans. And she goes, yeah, I know. You still got the sticker on the back, eh? <laughs> and I left the house with that stupid size sticker stuck to the back of my jeans. Felt like such an idiot, you know? 
here I am out in Timmy's strutting my stuff, and everybody, yeah, everybody is talking about the idiot that was at Timmy's this morning with the new jeans on. <laughs> humbling, humbling experience. But you know what? One of the gifts that God gives us when we get a fresh vision of him is a fresh vision of ourselves. We get to see ourselves not as we think we are, but as we really, truly are. I love what Pastor John has been encouraging us over about the last five or six weeks to pray. It's such a bold, such a bold prayer. God, do whatever it takes in me. Do whatever it takes in me for your glory and for my good so that people may know that God is real. Have you prayed that prayer? Like, have you honestly said, God, give me a fresh vision of you. Let me see you in all of your majesty and your glory and your holiness. And then really, God, honestly, for the first time maybe in my life, let me see myself as I really, really am. Not how I want to be yet, but as I really am right now. I, I remember a church I was in in Mississauga years and years and years ago before I was ever in, involved in uh, pastoral ministry. I was an accountant at the time. And, and at this particular church, we went through what I would call um, an unusual time, a real move of God where the glory of God really began to show up in people's lives and really began to change people. We were just a small church, about 110 people at the time. And over about a three-month period, we saw in excess of 60 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we were running no programs. We weren't doing any evangelistic meetings. We were doing nothing. But what would happen, what we noticed is, as we travailed in prayer, as we cried out to God in prayer for a fresh vision of himself and of ourselves, that God's spirit just began to fall on people. And people wonderfully got saved. But it was also during that time that many of us were changed as leaders because of the power and the presence of God. I was working as an accountant, as I said at the time, and I remember one particular time. It just seemed that all of the time I was reading my Bible, I couldn't get enough of God. I couldn't pray enough. I couldn't talk to my friends enough during those times. I remember one time closing my door of my office. All my staff were outside, and I closed the door, and at lunchtime I opened my Bible, and I began to read in the scriptures. And I remember the Spirit of God in, in his wonderful presence being so strong that I just began to weep. I just began to weep uncontrollably in my office. I felt like an idiot. And I was down behind my desk. I was like huddled down behind my desk. And all I could think about was it was my sin. It was my sin that put Jesus on the cross. It was my sin that was maybe holding people back from experiencing God. And I remember reaching up and managing to dial the phone, and I called my pastor at the time, Mark, and I, he answered the phone, and I said, Mark, and he said, Dave, and I was just sobbing, and he said, Dave, is everything okay? Is everything okay with you? Is everything okay with Jen and the boys? And all I could get out over the phone was, my sin, oh, my sin. Friends, we need a fresh vision of ourselves, because we're not as great as we really think we are. We're not. God loves us. Oh, make no mistake about it. I'm going to talk about that now. God loves us with an incredible love, but we first need to see a picture of God and who he really is and to see ourselves as we really are before we can even move forward with God. Well, let's, let's do that. Let's move forward in 
and get a fresh vision of salvation. Look at verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah chapter 6. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Here we have this wonderful picture that Isaiah would have clearly understood that was hearkening back to Leviticus chapter 16, where um, the day of atonement is explained for the people in the law. And where the high priest would go in once a year to uh, make right for the sins of the people, would go in and make an animal sacrifice and put it on this altar and this, this burning sacrifice would go up and God would pour out all of his anger and all of his wrath on that particular animal. All the anger and wrath that was because of the sins of the people would be poured out on this animal and this animal would become a substitutionary sacrifice for the people so that the people wouldn't have to die. And Isaiah would have fully understood that. He would have fully got that. And this angelic being, the seraph, goes to the, uh, to the altar and picks up one of the coals with tongs and comes down and touches the source of the prophet's sin because he had said, I am a man of unclean lips. And his lips are touched. And this angelic being see, says, see, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. You have been cleansed and you have been forgiven And this is a wonderful picture of what Christ has done for us. Back in John chapter 1 and verse 29, when John the Baptist first saw Jesus, what did he say? He said, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, look everybody, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It's the same reference, it's the same picture, it's the same event. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. And I think that we need to have a fresh vision of our salvation. Like, do we honestly rejoice in our salvation? Do you take time to think about all that God has done for you and me in the salvation that he has afforded us in Christ? You remember King David. King David was confronted by the prophet Nathan with his sin. And in his wonderful confession in uh, Psalm 51, and in verse 12, he says this, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. But restore to me again the joy of your salvation. And one of the things that I think we're in terrible danger of as a community, as a bunch of Christian people, is that we have lost the joy of our salvation. And we desperately need a fresh vision of our salvation. We desperately need to remember and to understand all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. I took some time over the holidays just to reflect on this. Let me tell you just some of the thoughts really quickly that came up for me. Number one, forgiveness of sin. I gotta go there. And I reflected on the fact that God has forgiven me of all of the stuff that I have come and humbly, honestly confessed to him and said, God, I am really sorry. I blew it again. But God, would you forgive me? And the scripture says in the Psalms elsewhere that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I'm glad it doesn't say the north from the south because we got two poles, right? We can measure that distance. But though as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed my transgressions from me. Forgiveness of sins was a huge one for me. Fellowship, that special bond, that special connection that happens only with Christian people. 
You know, sometimes when you're traveling or you walk into a room and you, you just, there's a connection between you and that person and you know what it is. And finally, one of you gets the, the courage to go, are you a Christ follower? And you're like, yeah, secret agent, you know. And um, so we say, yeah, and we have this wonderful connection, fellowship. And with those that are around about us, those that maybe we've known for years, we have that special, special bond. But it comes because of our salvation. I love, too, that I am part of the church. Like, I get to be part of a movement of God. God is doing something in the world, right? Couple people, yeah, okay, so God is doing something in the world, and I get to be a part of it, and so do you. We need to discover what God is doing, and then we get to be a part of it, and that's because of our salvation. And for me, that's incredibly thrilling. Jesus said, if I go away, I will send a comforter, blessed Holy Spirit. One of the joys of our salvation is we have the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, not just convicting us and convincing of us of sin, but bringing the word of God to light and giving us power and, and the gifts that are needed to do ministry. And then, of course, one day after our work is done, after all of this work is done, we get to go and be with Jesus in heaven forever. The joy of our salvation. And these are just a few of them that I just thought about right off the top of my head this week and try to kind of work through for myself. But there is so much, and we need to get a fresh vision of our salvation. Well, then finally, let me suggest that I think we need a fresh vision of service. Look at verse 8. Verse 8, Isaiah says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. The proper response to salvation is service. The proper response to salvation is service. I think it's interesting in this particular vision of Isaiah that before he even hears what the assignment is, God says, look, you've got a fresh vision of me, you've seen me, okay. You understand your own condition, but now you understand that you've been offered salvation, and in light of that, who will go for us? Who can I send? And Isaiah says right away, send me, send me. He opts in for service right away. And can I suggest to you that that is always the right response to a fresh vision of our salvation. It is always the correct response. In Acts chapter 9, we have Paul's conversion story. And it's recorded there for us. But later on in Acts chapter 22, Paul gives his own story. He gives his own testimony. Let me read it for you. In Acts chapter 22, verses 6 to 10. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven uh, flashed around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Question number one. Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth whom you were persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. Question number two, what shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said. Go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. You see the link? Who are you, Lord? And Jesus reveals himself to Paul on the Damascus road, and Paul gets a fresh vision of God, he understands his own sinful condition, just like Isaiah. And Jesus 
He, he acknowledges Jesus as his Lord and his Savior. And in response to that, he says, now what do you want me to do? <laughs> what do you want me to do? And I think that that's why in writing to the Ephesian church, Paul was able to say in Ephesians 2, it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it's not about works so that no one can boast. And we usually quit there. Why? But we need to keep going to verse 10 because verse 10 says, for we are uh, created in God's image. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. See, there's this link between salvation and between service. You and I, we get to become involved in the kingdom of God. And in seeing the beauty of God breaking forth in the brokenness of our world. And so at the start, on the first Sunday of a new year, and the first Sunday of a brand new decade, how is your vision? Like honestly, how is your vision? I want to lead us in prayer now. And Alan and the team are going to come up and lead us in some closing songs so we can express back to God our worship. But as they come, I, I want to pray for myself and I want to pray for you and I want to invite you to pray along. Like if we're really, really honestly interested in a fresh vision of God, let's ask him for that. If we really are interested in knowing how God sees us truly as we really are, let's ask him for that. And for those of you who are Christ followers this morning, maybe we could ask God to restore to us the joy of our salvation and grant us that willing spirit to sustain us, to carry us through. And for the many who are serving and for those of you who are not serving, maybe we need a fresh vision of service and why we serve and how we serve. So let's pray together and I'm going to invite you to stand with me and let's pray. First of all, God, we come to you with thanksgiving and with praise in our hearts and on our lips because you have given us, you have given us your scripture and we get to share what Isaiah shared. Even though we weren't there, we, we get to be transported there. And God, I'm going to pray for myself and for my friends who are here and you know each one of our hearts and each one of our minds. And God, I pray that you would answer us according to the sincerity of our hearts. But oh God, oh God, we need a fresh vision of you. Oh God, I need a fresh vision of you. And as scary as it is, God, I want to see you in your majesty and in your glory and in your holiness because I want to be changed by that, God. I want to be changed. Lord, help me, help me to kill the pride that, that is so prevalent in my life and in many of our hearts. And God, would you, just, would you give us a fresh vision of ourselves so that we can do away with pride once and for all? And oh God, would you help us to see the greatness of the salvation that you have given us in Christ. Thank you, Jesus, so much for going to the cross. Thank you, Jesus, because there was no other way. Thank you so much for all that you have done. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. 
and give us a heart for serving you, a holy passion and a burning desire to change the world for Jesus Christ. Starting right here in our own families, in our own community, God, help us to take this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, and help us to take it throughout the whole world so that other people might know the forgiveness and the cleansing and the wonderful fellowship of Jesus the Christ. And as Bill said last week, God, we don't ask this so that we get something. We ask this, Lord, for your glory and for your honor that your name might be praised both now and throughout all eternity. And all, pe- all God's people said, amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you want to know more about our church or give financially, go to our website at www.crotherscreek.ca. 